this is my favorite story. <laughs> I thought it would be so funny if I went to Coles and got a hot chicken, I eat the chicken, and then make a necklace out of the bones. Yeah. I thought it would be hilarious. So I did. We had the chicken for dinner, and I cleaned the bones, and then I wired them together, and then I rusted the wire and made it really like tribal looking and presented it for my assignment. And everyone just looked at me in disgust. <laughs> Could not believe that I'd made a necklace out of bones. And I'm like, is anyone here a vegetarian? No. Does everyone here eat hot chicken off of the bone? Yes. Okay, so why is then using the bones, turn, why, why is turning that into something seen as disgusting? I'm like, well, it's just, it's bones, it is. And that, it, it just triggered something. And that was the start mm. for me. Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customised explorative research on key consumer markets, customers and population segments. Square Holes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behaviour change. Visit squareholes.com for more. Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone and welcome to Real People, where we interview average and not-so-average people, academics, researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Today we're joined by Olivia Dryden, jeweller and taxidermy artist. This is the second in a series of four interviews with unique artists to understand their perspective on life, creativity and art hopefully to inspire you. Since graduating from Adelaide College of Arts in 2014, Olivia's career has advanced significantly. She has received much acclaim and recognition for her work. You can find Olivia's website at oliviadrydenjewelry.com. Olivia has travelled to India in 2015 for a Helpman Academy residency. Olivia also recently was awarded one of the inaugural Helpman Academy Fellowships supported by the James and Diana Ramsey Foundation. This latest fellowship allowed Olivia to spend three months in London, further developing her skills in taxidermy and jewellery making. Olivia's beautiful art comes from a curiosity with death. Olivia has had a solo exhibition, Life After Death, at Hillsmith Gallery, and her jewellery is available in many wonderful jewellery stores. We go on a journey from a childhood loving art and how Olivia's thirst to keep learning and see the world differently continues and will ever continue as far as Olivia is concerned. In a profession where only 2% make it, Olivia's passion, network and entrepreneurship is seeing her triumph even with the challenge that comes with life as an artist. Uh, let's not waste a moment. On with the show. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Well, thank you for joining us today, Olivia. I'm going to start off where I start all of these. What were you like as an eight-year-old? What were you like as a kid? I was always very enthusiastic and creative, um, always doodling. I was an only child, so I was always having to entertain myself. Um, yeah. Did your parents sort of encourage you to be into being creative? And yeah, my mum always yeah. has been. Was that to amuse yourself, or was that sort of <laughs> she wanted you to be artistic, or what do you uh, think? That I don't think there was really a, a choice. Even I just always loved painting and doing anything that was arty, and she always encouraged that. As well, yeah. Um, What's your kind of earliest memory of doing some form of art? I used to do little like dioramas in yeah. my room. She let me have a part of a cupboard, and I used to do themes. And so, like when the Olympics was on, I set up an Olympic oh, stadium wow. okay. on a cupboard in my room. Yeah, and you know, so I was always making miniature displays. Yeah, wow. yeah. and. So being an only child, did that did, did that shape you, do you think, in that artistic way? or? Did... Yeah, well, I think I was just left to be by myself, so I did have to amuse myself. So yeah, you're yeah. 
creativity sort of runs wild then. Mm. Um, but I was always, even when mum would, would go to a cafe, she'd give me a piece of pen and a paper. And I was just always yeah. drawing and doodling. That's good. Mm. Uh, and when you went to school, did you did you like school? Did you like all different subjects, or were you more uh, no, loved I'm, art? The yeah, I've always sure. always art. I mean, even when I was in year two, I was doing art with the year sevens. Really? Like, Is yeah, that right? They, so they must have so early on. How, how does that? How does something like that occur? Like, well, I think my year two teacher just wanted to push me. She knew that there was obviously something there, and. Year seven was sort of the, the grade where you had an art teacher, mm. and so they put me in that class. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so I always, um, I was pretty much top art student every year. Um, I got top art student of the school in year twelve and got a trophy so it, for that. So when you're in some like year two, like what what are you doing that that makes you stand out from the other other kids in terms of? I'd, Being that advanced, that's like... Yeah, well, I don't really know. I guess just the the way that I would, you know, it, we had to do something. I guess the way that I did it, things were in proportion. I was always analysing and really thinking about how I was going to draw it instead of just drawing it or putting it together. Yeah, wow. um, Yeah, I don't really remember yeah. why no, I was no, so good at it. I think it was no. just I was really passionate. Yeah, and do you think it was... was it- was it an attention to detail or yeah, you vi- think, were you visual in your mind? Or I think it, I've always been really particular. Whenever I do something, I have to do it to the best of my ability. Hmm. I have to be the best at it. Yeah. And so I think, and it's quite, it, I'm quite competitive in nature. So, you know, if I was going to do it, I would just keep doing it until it was absolutely perfect. Yeah. It didn't matter how long it would take me. You know. So you wouldn't pass that on to your teacher, for example, until yeah, you just, felt like that yeah. was actually of a worthy yeah, quality. Exactly. Were your parents artists or did you have art, no. uh, artists in the family? That, no, okay. not really. My mum's creative, um, you know, with scrapbooking. And I think my grandma was good at drawing, but no one had anything really to do with the arts at all. <laughs> yeah, wow. And other subjects? Did you kind of, did you, did you like other subjects or? Um, funnily enough, I liked biology i liked um you know dissecting things yeah. but i've i've always been really hands-on and i like doing things you know like the cooking or textiles anything that i actually get to make something and do something with my hands anything else like english maths or science i just yeah. found it really hard to focus and remember i have a very visual memory mm. so i remember things visually I, I struggled with all my other subjects yeah and do you think schools understood that when you went to school no, do they understand no. that you can be good at that but no. that stuff is not how your no, my works. school was a very academic school yeah. i was lucky that my i mean they didn't even tell me about the idea of going to like a, a college like adelaide college of the arts or doing an art degree that was never even suggested i was lucky i had a really supportive art teacher and she suggested me doing it but before that i i had no idea that that was even an option wow so when did you start working out what you wanted to do when you finished school whether it was study or whether it it was was, professionally it was in year 12 that so even when you're 11 I was still thinking I wanted to do child psychology but knew that I didn't really have the patience or the brains to actually sit through all the years of study and then in year 12 when I had this idea that I could do um do arts I knew okay because I had to think about what do I actually love doing and I'd been making jewelry since I was 12 I'd been selling at markets since I was 13 is that right yeah, yeah. <laughs> your own little store and, yep my yeah. own store when I was 13 and that's very entrepreneurial yeah store, <laughs> um and so I thought no this is what I should be doing because I'm passionate about it um and I enjoy doing it and so then when I went and um got into my degree I what just, degree did you do so I did a bachelor of visual arts majoring in jewelry design yeah and it was the best decision. Yeah. It was the happiest four years. Is that right? Yeah. Well, happy in what way? I'd just been surrounded by people that are passionate about different things. You know, you have, say, 40 people in your class, but there's 12 different mediums. Yeah. 
everyone's there for the same reason that they're passionate and they want to share their views of the world with everyone through their art and I don't think there's many other careers where you get the opportunity to really do that yeah you know, with, with freedom, mm. you know. So those views of the world, so I kind of was reading between the lines when you said that of the different arts stu- or art students had different things they wanted to, yes. stories they wanted to tell in their yeah. art, really. And, and all through different mediums. Someone could be a sculptor, someone could be a photographer, someone could be a jeweller, you know, and a printmaker. There's, there's so many different mediums, mm. yet we're all there in the same class doing the same work, yeah. same projects, but in our own mediums, our own visions, you know, our own messages. Yeah. Did you get any... Was, was there a... Um, obviously, there was a, some bond. Your, your, your bond yeah. was about the passion for, for art, but was there anything, I guess, in the way artistic people think that you kind of observed or...? Well, well, very opinionated. <laughs> <laughs> about the world or about Yeah, well, about the world, what's going on. And, I mean, sometimes lunchtimes or even, even in classes, topics would get very heated and you'd have to just kind of go, okay, enough's enough. Because everyone's, you know, we're all, I guess, artists. We're, we have our opinion and we like to talk about that, you yeah. know. I mean, as long as you're having discussions, it's great to hear from everyone. But, you know, at the end of the day, your opinion is generally what you believe so you can have these amazing conversations where you learn from each other you can have really you know almost argumentative ones and Mm. you just sort of laugh about it you just you're always learning from each other and my I have a group of about five of the people that I studied with five or six and I'm still so close to them and yeah because they think this this in a similar way no we're all of us are completely different yeah completely there is no similarities yeah and a lot of them haven't progressed in the art world they've gone on to do other jobs um but we just really clicked and i think that's one thing that you learn in the art world and when you're studying art is that everyone is so different but you're in the same industry Mm -hmm. and you just got to accept everyone for who they are yeah and going from being a uh a student of art to a professional artist. I don't know about like, professional. <laughs> <laughs> Getting there, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Um, or, or still or at least practising. Yeah, like. yeah. It's been hard. It always is. Um, I always say to people that if you're going to have your own business, you can't expect it just to boom overnight. Just mm-hmm. as soon as you graduate doesn't mean people are going to buy your your pieces so even when I was studying I was working two jobs three jobs sorry three jobs and then even for a couple of uh, for three years after studying I was working four jobs yeah wow okay so that was and what just, sort of jobs were you working in hospitality uh, so I, or like? well I did hospitality so I worked at a cafe for three years I worked at a little jewelry shop for 11 years mm. I've worked in the nightclub industry for nearly eight years um yeah so i would do work during the week work weekend days weekend nights and then make time for my studio work as well so i was working seven days a week two nights a week yeah while you were studying yep and then even after studying as well so how do you like do you have any sort of i guess in your observations of how, how do you how do you in, ensure that artists such as yourself, uh, yeah, stay artists, how, like maintain it's that? How do you? It's hard. You've got to have a balance. And don't get me wrong, there can be weeks where I have no inspiration because I've just worked myself to the bone. Um, but you've got to. In my medium, I need the money to pay for my medals yeah. before I can even produce the pieces. Yeah. So I need to have that income coming in um so if i work too much i get uninspired i get tired so then i sort of have to pull back a little bit have a few weeks off where i'm not working heaps and i'm not necessarily in the studio just to get myself back to normal so you've almost got to self-fund your art yeah (laughs) 
to, to, to make that, yeah. And, and sometimes like, you might not be doing your dream no, job, but you're just no. doing that because it's just yeah. the reality of what and, you need to and do. And I know I'm f- my five-year plan I accomplished in two years. So I'm on my 10-year plan, which I've nearly accomplished five years after graduating. Yeah. Okay. So I'm already, like, my hard work is paying off. Yeah. It really is. So you expected it to be hard. Is that, is that I fair? Yeah. Well, when, when I graduated, um, Lisa Slade did a speech um, and people took it, people got really frustrated about it because she said that in the art world, 2% make it. Mm-hmm. You've got to make sure you're that, you're part of that 2%. And people didn't understand. They thought that that was a horrible thing to say. I said, well, I'm going to make sure I'm that 2%. That 2%. Yeah, okay. That's how I took it. And I thought, well, it's true. In, in any industry, you, there's only certain positions. There's only you, You've got to fight to prove yourself. Mm. It's like that in the art world. You can't just expect to be taken seriously as an artist. It doesn't work like that. No. You've got to constantly be out there producing new works but also supporting other artists, going to exhibitions, volunteering where you can, constantly networking so that people get to know you. Because as an artist, I'm a big believer in that you're also selling yourself because people aren't going to invest in you if they don't believe in you. Mm. So, Lisa, you mentioned before, Mm. just for the listeners, who's Mm. Lisa? Lisa Slade, she's the uh, director of the Art Gallery of South Australia. Yeah, all right. Um, Well, at the time, she was the assistant director. Um, She's such an amazing woman. I admire her so much. And she was just giving that reality check. Yeah, her speech was amazing. And it was just about, if you want to be an artist, fight for that, you know, Mm. fight for it. You've got to. Um, because a lot of people do, they, they do just give up. It's too hard. They expected it just to be handed to them. It's not like that in any job. <laughs> it just, I was interested in, um, I was just sitting in the back of my mind of when you said you were, you were, you had your own, um, market stall with your own jewelry when you were about 13. How did that come about? Um, I was 12 and at school and we had a assistant teacher um, a relief teacher and she did uh, beading with us and it was just I think for maybe an hour or so and I got came home that night and I said mum I want to do some more beading I really enjoyed it and a little bead shop had opened up six months prior and I remember saying to mum when it opened oh who's ever going to go into a bead shop how is that even a business <laughs> well then after coming home mum took me into the shop and I bought some beads and I taught myself how to make jewellery. And the manager there at the time took me under her wing. Any questions I had, she'd teach me. And so after six months of making, um, I was, well, actually it was probably less than that, but I was selling at the Sterling Markets. So I'd be up there, 8 a.m. with my mum. Every, how often was that They would do it, I think it was like the last Sunday of every month. Yeah, okay. And it would be really cold, didn't matter, be out there. (laughs) And... Yeah, I mean, it was it was amazing. It was yeah. my first real experience of business. Yeah. And then I ended up, as soon as I um, was old enough, I got offered a job at that bead shop. So then yeah. I was working at the bead shop, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I kept, I did market still. Um, yeah. But even back then, your, your, your product, your, your, you were making a product, your, your, your jewellery, and, yeah, and you were selling, selling it to the market. So yeah. it was that... that yeah. Um, and then you sort of jump to sort of um, where we're at sort of more, more recently, but that, that conversation around you're a jewel, you're, you're, a, you're an artist, but you're also a, an entrepreneur, like a, a business owner. So you've yeah. got to almost sort of bring it. You're not, yeah. you're not getting a product that you're importing, but you're no. actually making your own yeah. product and then you've got to find a market for that product. Yeah. So it's, I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily see artists as being, no. whether it's, whether it's um, whether it's jewellery or visual art or, or whatever or, or the theatre, they don't necessarily see it as a business, and it mm. most certainly is. Isn't <laughs> yeah, it, really? it is. So, so from finishing uni and having your your plan. So, when did you start? Is a style you've got now similar to the style you had out of uni? 
No, it took me a while. My, I found my style only in my last six months of uni. Yeah. I felt quite lost. Everyone seemed to have their own style and I didn't. And then, you know, when I finally figured out my style, I just ran with it and it's just progressed. Mm. It's constantly changing through all my experiences, through my research, um, you know, through practicing, through everything. It just constantly evolves. And that's how I think it should be in the art world. You should always be learning, always be learning new techniques, um, you know, constantly wanting to change. Um, that's what art's about. Mm-hmm. And ne- never stop never learning. Stop. Yeah. yeah. So going through uni was just, was your, I guess, your um, your uh, sort of product or was it was it jewelry or was it were you sort of playing around with like different different forms or obviously you've been doing studying you don't yeah. you don't you can't just do jewelry but yeah so you do all different subjects um, stone setting um, mechanisms um, I hadn't really thought too much about having a style or you know I was just sort of going going with the flow until we had a subject that was all about mixed media. And so instead of just using your precious metals, your silver that we were used to using, we had to think outside of the square Hmm. and use other mediums. So people were using paper and bottle caps and, you know, wood. And this is my favourite story. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it would be so funny if I went to Coles and got a hot chicken eat the chicken and then make a necklace out of the bones. Yeah. I thought it would be hilarious. So I did. We had the chicken for dinner and I cleaned the bones and then I wired them together and then I rusted the wire and made it really like tribal looking and presented it for my assignment. And everyone just looked at me in disgust. <laughs> Could not believe that I'd made a necklace out of bones. And I'm like... Is anyone here a vegetarian? No. Does everyone here eat hot chicken off of the bone? Yes. Okay, so why is then using the bones, turn, why, why is turning that into something seen as disgusting? They're like, well, it's just, it's bones, it is. And that, it, it just triggered something. And that was the start mm. for me. I, I, Almost like that friction, you actually made you be stronger in yes. your, your conviction. And all of a sudden I had this curiosity, why do people perceive death the way they do? And I started researching into uh, how cultures um, you know, deal with death and, and why our culture just doesn't talk about it. it it's, a, it's a total taboo, mm. you know. And with all my research through that, I started looking into um, the Victorian period I came across um, in, in Europe. And they, because people didn't live as long, people were, you know, a lot of children would die. They would celebrate, they would mourn their death but celebrate their life. Mm. And they would keep... Um, um, uh, memorial pieces so it might have the deceased person's hair it might have a tooth um, it might have a photograph of the dead child things that we would see see as so morbid were just tokens back then and that's how it all started and I started I mean back then I still couldn't really touch dead animals and I never really wasn't into that I would bury the uh, dead birds and then dig them up months later and then mould the, the bones and cast them into silver and mix them with flowers and, you know, and it, and it just started happening. Mm-hmm. And the more I researched, the more that I started playing with um, the medium of bones, um, I just, it got me really excited. And it was, so it, was all, all, it was always, I guess, that 
when you look at your CV, it's very impressive. It, it, it's that it's the jewel. Was it silver jewelry? It, it's, yeah. yeah. And and and, and taxidermy. And it's yeah. sort of <laughs> and it's beautiful. Like you've got flowers and and then and then there's a taxidermy. So that's yeah. kind of where it all kind of yeah. really comes together. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. What, what what like just I guess when we'll come back to your style in, in a moment. But why does it matter from an out for, for an outsider's perspective when they're not an artist? Um, how, what can you sort of say to them of why it matters to have your own style? Why does it matter? Having to your own style is how you show people who you are. So if you look at to some uh, someone's style in the street, you know, and they're wearing lots of colours, mm. right? That's their way of expressing themselves. And so for people in general. It's important to have your own individuality. So then as an artist, it's even more important Mm. because my style of jewellery is how I see the world and what I see is is beautiful. And I want to show what I see, the beauty that I see to everyone. And that's why my style is so important to me. So when people buy my pieces, they're buying a piece of my style, you know, and they're, um, they're sharing my view of the world. Mm. And there's so much. So I guess I'm always fascinated with, with artists where there's so much of you that goes into that. Yeah. You, can, you put so much work into producing mm. that, that, um, that, that product and but then it disappears. It's basically yeah. sold like a product. Yeah. Then you, you likely don't see it again, whether it's, whether it's yeah. earrings or whatever. Like, mm. What's what's that? What's that uh, like as an artist? Where you, you like it me, that piece means so much to you. My my first piece that sold was my graduating, like the necklace that I did for my graduation, mm. and I couldn't believe that anyone would actually want to buy it. And the thought that someone would actually purchase it did not even enter my mind. I honestly, it I had no concept of that, and then that feeling when I saw the red sticker by the piece, the overwhelming joy and I was so proud of myself. That, that you sold it. That right? I sold it. That someone, and I'm assuming that's because someone else yeah, loves it too. Yeah, yeah, and that they want to um, not only support me, in my, me as an artist, because obviously the money goes back into funding my art, um, but they see the beauty in it too. You know, mm. how many years is it since you've finished uni? You might have so already coming said. up to five years. Okay, so yeah. you've received many grants. It looks like, and you've been for a few trips overseas. Can you tell me, yeah. <laughs> tell me some of your adventures that have helped? You need to, and it was that, I guess that really beautiful thing you said before about you're always learning as an artist. So mm. tell me some of the the wonderful experiences you've had and the awards well, or just the learnings. The, the first. Um, the first residency I won was uh, my first year out from graduating. Um, I won a six-week residency to go to India from the Helpman Academy. And that experience was amazing. Um, having six weeks out of your day-to-day life to focus on your art practice. Mm. You, you just don't get the opportunity to do that. Hmm. Did you put in so the application for Helpman? Did you hmm. did you put in an application saying where you want to go and what you want to well, do? So this or? one, they do a residency to India and to China every year. Um, so you apply for it. And I'd been to India when I was 15 and that um, greatly in, um, inspired my visual art. I did my year 12 um, art pieces on India. So... I knew as soon as I saw that residency, I thought that would be amazing for me to put a spin on my work. I know that India inspires me so much and going over there as an adult, um, working with different artisans, doing different techniques, um, you know, going to the jewellery markets over there for the gemstones. Mm. I knew it was an opportunity that I had to apply for. so I did the application and like I cried when I found out that I got it. I couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. Um, Cause you could see what that was going to bring I, to I you knew, and your arm. I knew what it would do. Yeah. It did so much more 
it really did. Um, six weeks over there, I, you know, I started working with colour with my work. I honestly had no interest in working with gemstones before I left. Mm. And then when I came back, I'm mixing now precious stones with my works, not just silver, yeah. not just pearls. It, I started bringing colour in. Um, and then also started working with gold. Um, I had no interest in working with gold. Mm. And is that with other artisans saying, why don't you try this or have you tried that or you just been in that well, environment? You, or? Just, you know that – do you mean when I was over in India? Yeah, in or? India, yeah. It's because of what you're exposed to. Yeah. The jewellery over there is so rich in colour, the gemstones, the gold, that you can't help but just constantly – see it and start seeing the beauty in that and then it inspires you yeah, okay. and then you want to start using that in your work um and so that's with the gemstones that's what i i really was inspired by um i also did my first small installation while i was over there because i convinced um well the owner of sanskriti to let me go to the forbidden forest at the back of the grounds yeah. <laughs> and because I wanted to go looking for bones to do something with, yeah. to mold, to do an installation. I didn't know what, I just wanted to use a familiar medium and see what I would do with it over there. Um, and I did, I made my own, um, bone shrine. Yeah, so good. that it was very obviously inspired by India mm. and you know, what, what I was exposed to over there. Yeah, and other experiences. What, what are some of the other adventures you've been on since in the last five well, years? Well, I went back, I decided to go back to Sanskriti the year later. Yeah. So I spent two months in India again. Um, so then, you created contacts. And, yeah, yeah, yep. And so I wanted to go back and do more more classes over there with different artisans um, and travel around. I volunteered in um, a monastery uh, teaching Aboriginal art okay, to, wow. um, to orphans. Yeah. Um, you know, I really wanted to share my knowledge with other people over there. Yeah. It's not just about me taking and learning. Mm. I wanted to give something back as yeah, well. Um, then I applied for, the, or then I applied for a mentorship. I applied for two, a mentorship with two different, um, taxidermy artists and I got accepted for the mentorship but both of my mentors said no they knocked me back not oh, willing really? to help me at all did you ever get feedback or no nah. so you can imagine all of a sudden I felt really disappointed that in Australia no one was willing to help me or teach me I wanted to start working with taxidermy, but n there was no, no way of me to learn mm. professionally. Do you have a sense of why they might have, or do you, you have no idea? Was it the bringing the, that, the art and the taxidermy together? Or? I think it's more that in Australia, artists are very protective of their work, and if they're the only one in Australia that ah, uses okay. that medium... Yeah, okay. Why would they want to teach it to someone else? That would be competition. Yeah, okay. So I think that has a lot to do with it because if there's no one else in Australia to teach you and they're not even willing to try, mm. you know, so I felt really, really disappointed. But it made me more determined. I thought, no, yeah. well, I will find someone that will teach me. Cause I and could was only... that through Helpman as well? Or... Yes, that was yeah. through Helpman. And so Helpman went and approached these yep. mentors, yes, potential yes. mentors, and, yep. and said, would you be interested? And they said, oh, no, no, no thanks. Yeah. yeah. So then I, uh, I looked at what else the Helpman could um, help me with, and they had just opened um, these new fellowships. And so it was up to $20,000 for a fellowship by the um, James and Diana Ramsey Foundation. And you created your own scholarship. So, and it was, a, you know, it was a lengthy application and I put everything into it and I decided I'm 
even if I don't get the fellowship, I had an idea of what I was going to do. Hmm. And that was I was going to go to the roots of where my inspiration came from. I was going to go to London to study taxidermy there because it's an old art form there and it's socially acceptable and people don't get grossed out by it and they're willing to teach and help. Hmm. So In the UK, they're in the more UK. accepting. Yeah. It's just what yeah. you do. and yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a profession over there. And in Australia, it's, it's yeah, not. It's, 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 a, of... it's a dead profession. Yeah, okay. There's, it's only in the museums. And even then, there's. We had about a few years ago. I think we were down to maybe three taxidermists in Australia. Wow! So it's it's a lost art form here. So I applied for it, and I won it. Yay! <laughs> and and you were happy. I was so happy. I couldn't believe that yet again someone else was willing to support me mm. and help my career and had faith in me. So my fellowship was to study in the UK for three and a half months. So I was based in London for 12 weeks. Um, I did about 15 different courses and then I was going to France and then also Italy to go see the bone churches. So the Capuchin crypts. Um, while I was over there, I do what I do best and talk and mingle and <laughs> make connections. And I ended up volunteering at the Museum of Life Sciences, restoring the Australian skeletons. Oh, wow. Um, and made a lot of connections with the antique dealers as well. Got to um, work with a lot of Victorian jewellery. I just, I learned so much. And then when I went to Italy, going to the bone churches, I had this new inspiration of larger three-dimensional works so when I came back I decided I wanted to do some installations and I did my first bone chandelier so how big are you talking about oh it's still only you know 30 30 centimeters or so 30 30 40 centimeters yeah so it's still small but compared to jewelry for me that was big yeah there we go yeah, and that was using bones and crystals and pearls. So it, it's a lot. So a lot of it is um, it's that networking and and being um, in the right space to be inspired, isn't it? That mm. learning from inspiration yeah. all the time and just and constantly being inspired. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So and that evolved your your style, your, your sense, and oh e- yes, even more. I also was very inspired by European animals. So while I was over there, you know, I molded little mole hands. And so I've come back and I do mole hand earrings now. And, you know, so things that I had access to over there, which seem like aliens when you're in Australia, never seen mole hands before. So I drew so much inspiration from their animals um, and the animals that I taxidermied while I was over there as well. Um, When, when, um, do you, where do you sell your product? So originally it was just galleries, just yeah. doing exhibition work. Okay. I was really fighting to be seen as an artist. For your more taxidermy pieces, that oh, would be for more my a... taxidermy pieces, that's exhibition pieces. Yeah, okay. Um, a lot of pieces I do are just more for private buyers at this stage. I'm yeah. still perfecting my techniques. So some would say we're looking for a piece of work for, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then I would do it for them. Yeah. Um, whereas my jewellery is um, in shops and galleries. Yeah. So where about? Where, where, where's, how, how wide is your... So originally it was just Adelaide, so in about six different shops in Adelaide, Urban Cow, Art Images, Bimbo, um, Naomi Schwartz Jewellery, and then I just recently became represented by a gallery in Sydney. Okay. And that was just from going over to Sydney... And talking to the right people, yeah. and they loved my style. So now, and do you bring the taxidermy into your jewellery so, in, in Australia? Yes. So, but only by uh, making moulds of the bones. Okay. So I don't use raw bones in the jewellery. Um, they're sterling silver replicas, but they have all they're the exact same size, shape. Yeah. Everything is the original bone. Yeah. Where like it, it's it's it, your um desire to produce 
certain art, but the market's not ready for it or the audience is not ready for it. How do you balance that? I'm assuming there's just in our conversation, there's bits yeah. you go, I'd love to do this, <laughs> even from the reaction yeah. when, the, in your final year. Um, Where, how did, like, what, what would you love to do, but you're kind of not sure? Or, you, um, is it, or is it about building up that trust or reputation? Or It's about building up the trust. A lot of galleries will say straight up, they only want my flower pieces. They don't want the bones or the skulls. And then I say to them, you've got to take me as an artist of who I am. You've got to take the flowers and the skulls. Mm. You know, not all the pieces have um, skulls or bones or bird claws in them. Some of them are just flowers. But if you're going to showcase my work, you need to showcase all of it. And so one gallery in particular had originally said that they weren't, you know, really weren't keen on my taxidermy style. They didn't want to gross their customers out. Exactly. Because right. <laughs> they're, a, you know, a fine art gallery. Well, all the pieces with bones that have gone in that gallery have sold. <laughs> is that, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're do, they, that gallery is one of my top um So they took the punt now. and then... And yeah. it's do you have a sense... You don't sell in the UK at the moment? I or? did when I was in London. Yeah. Um, I was able to sell. Um, I was meant to have a solo exhibition over there, but I ended up having to cancel that um, just because of the galleries. So I ended up making connections and chatting to this little shop owner and he loved my work. So he asked me to bring some in and he did a full window display of my jewellery. So for me, that was like a mini exhibition and he sold a few pieces so when i go back that's something that i really want to do is put my pieces in the uk Mm. as well do you feel um you could be bolder in the uk or where where did Uh, i think that i could do extremely well in the uk yeah i really i think i can push myself more i think that i could I'd just be more accepted over there. In terms of the taxidermy? In, t- in terms of the taxidermy. Yeah. People would be willing to have it without questioning it. I think that they're a lot more accepting in the art world of different styles. Yeah. Not just in taxidermy. I just think they're a bit more of a, a header ahead than us in yeah. Australia. And obviously you've got, you've got a website, so yes. I've been to it. But maybe if you, if you read out, your say, your website address, yes. and then people are listening to this and they want to, they want to see some of your art, can you read it yeah. out? So it's www.oliviadryden.com.au. Okay, so if you go to that, and that we'll mention that in the, sort of the, the start as well, but people are going, trying to visualise in their minds. <laughs> it's, it's just audio what, it, what it's like, you but it's, it's very it. beautiful art. And, um, but it's, it's that interesting thing of the appetite for something different in say Australia versus another country, it's probably mm. a fascinating one. So, you, so because taxidermy is more of a, an accepted art form in the UK, maybe they're more accepting of, yeah, of that exactly. as, as as jewellery as well. Mm. Have other experiences you've had in the last five years? They're probably there are a couple pretty big ones. Well, there. since coming back from the UK, um, I decided that I wanted to work in the industry, which I'd never considered before I thought if I'm going to have a full-time job it needs to be mentally stimulating um so I'm working full-time at a jewelry manufacturing company and that in itself has been an adventure for me because I'm now working with jewelers from all around Australia and advising them and I'm learning every day constantly about metals casting molding CAD design and that's helped me a lot in my my professional development as well. Mm, yeah. But that's because that's what I take out of it, though. I'm one of the only well, I'm the only jeweler that works there in the office, so I obviously get a lot more enthusiastic. Yeah. So almost the the business again, the business and mm. operational side of mm. of a jewelry business, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, your your where do you sort of what, what, what have you learned sort of in the, in the reactions you've got over the last sort of five six seven years to your jewelry being in a taxidermy and the, what, what have you learned about people is there a cultural kind of i guess observation that you could make people have people in our society in australia have this idea of death that we don't talk about it when someone dies you mourn and you don't talk about them again. You might have a photo in in your house. 
well, I think that I'm the people that see my work that I talk to, I'm trying to expose the beauty in death. That why do we only mourn someone's death? Why do we not then celebrate their life? So for me, I do that through obviously animals. I go, well, if you have two birds that are exactly identical, one is alive with a beating heartbeat, the other one is dead. They are both physically exactly the same. They look, they look exactly the same. Why is one seen as beautiful and one seen as disgusting? So I'm trying to expose that just because something's dead doesn't mean it's still not mm. beautiful. Um, and I see people's perceptions on death change after talking to me about my artwork. What way? So people that have said to me, after talking to me at an exhibitioning, uh, exhibition opening, and then I'll see them again at another exhibition and they'll go, you know, I saw something dead the other day and I thought of you. Now, <laughs> and they laugh and now already their first thought wasn't that it was disgusting. Mm. Their first thought was of me using that medium, yeah. right? Or that kooky artist that would, you know, could use that. Then the next time all of a sudden I get a text message, oh, I've found this dead bird do you want it oh yes i'd love that they go oh what should i do with it and i'll say i'll wrap it up i said if it can go on the freezer that's great but you don't have to feel like you have to and next minute they're storing birds for me in their freezer and they don't find them disgusting anymore and they start noticing things the the colors of the wings the shape of the feet then when they look at my work, they start looking at the silver bones or the, bo the, the bird claws and they see the detail in my pieces as well. It, my pieces give that opportunity to view death in a not-so-confronting way. Mm. And that's what I love about my work and how I want to change people's perceptions because I don't think death should be a topic that we just don't talk about, that we just, you know, when someone dies, that's it. No, we should be able to have, you know, their ashes in a vial around our neck or, you know, a brooch made of hair from the deceased person. And it shouldn't be seen as disgusting. It should be seen as beautiful and a piece to remember mm. the deceased by. Yeah, but it does say something about our culture that we don't, it's it's even beyond fear. We don't. It's, it's just a, we don't want to even th think want, about yeah. that. We don't want to think about that. That end of no. end of life of we want to think of ourselves as sort of immortal yeah. beings. And yeah. the idea of seeing yeah something dead is just a is a confronting, gross thing. And it, but it's interesting how we even how we grow up of that just being mm. part of who we are. It's, mm. it's not even maybe intended, but we grow up yeah. just kind of freaked out by all of that rather than just accepting that that's just. It's just a part of life. Part of life is death. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I, it's one thing that I love researching about is how other cultures, eras or religions, how they mourn death but how they celebrate life and the rituals that go into it. And I think our culture could learn a lot. So tell us them. about some of those different cultures you've been fascinated by. Yeah. Um, well, the Capuchins in Rome, they... They would bury the bodies, dig them up 30 years later, and then decorate churches with the bones. And that's their way of still preserving their, their, their friars, their, you know, their ancestors. They were keeping their bones in the church and decorating them. There's other cultures that will that mummify they're dead and every few years redress them, sit them at the table, have a, have a meal with them, <laughs> take photos with them. I mean, I know that seems so morbid, but I just think how fantastic is that, that they don't see it as disturbing. You know, it's just a part of their culture. They would probably think we're weird that we you cremate. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah, that we cremate our dead and then don't talk about them. Mm. You know, I think... There's, 
there's so much to learn from other cultures um, and past eras as well. And I just, I find it... What about uh, the past? So where, 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 what? Well, the one that I said, that decorating the churches, that's from thousands of years ago. Yeah. Um, there's, I went to churches in Italy that would have skulls of previous priests in, you know, a, a gold, lockable, beautiful, ornate um, little cabinet. And, you know, it, there's with gold, with flowers, and it's, it's so rich and beautiful. Um, they also would uh, wax skeletons. So it looks like a sculpt, a sculpture mm. of a, of a say a woman, but then you can see underneath where some of the wax has chipped off. You can see bones. Mm. So they preserve the dead. Mm. Um, I love death masks. They used to make a mould of a deceased face and then cast it yeah. in, into bronze or into plaster, and and they would have a, a, a sculpture of. The dead person, but it's of their face when they're dead. Yeah. Um, and they would do that with children's hands. They would make molds of, you know, the hands. And I just think, I just think how beautiful that is, you know, and what a, a lovely memento to have. Mm. But just even just the the way in which they think about that is is different. Mm. They're not grossed out by it. It's no. just that they just accept it. That's just yeah. their reality and. What what do you see as the the role of art more broadly in our culture and society? Art's a way of expressing yourself. Um, I think people don't realise how much art is really in the world. Art is how we can dress ourselves. Art is, you know, what we do with our house. The you know, you've got interior design. That's a form of art. It's a form of self expression, and I think that that is so important and I do believe that some people are, are artistic some people aren't but I think the people that aren't artistic should at least have the opportunity to talk to artists hmm. and see how their world is because artists see a world in in a different way I believe we see color and shapes in things that people wouldn't you know we can look at a leaves on the ground and see a picture constantly we're seeing art and i know that a lot of people just wouldn't see that and is that how you your mind might be wired where well, so other people might mm. do that so it's about you bringing that together yeah. as a way of expression yeah, yeah exactly. and why does that matter for a culture like why, like say if you compare say australia to the uk to to europe why does it matter to have that is it what like let's like say for groups like helpman who who give grants out to, to artists. Why, why does it matter that organisations like that exist to to keep those artists being able to it's hard pursue that? Yeah. to do it by yeah. yourself. Mm. It's, as I've said, I've, I've worked so hard with my jobs to try to express myself through my art, but I could only do the opportunities that I did through the Helpman yeah. because they were willing to support me. They give you the support that you need but not everywhere has it. We're so lucky that we have um, places like the Helpman Academy here in South Australia. We are so fortunate um, because maybe they don't have them, you know, these sort mm. of um, businesses that are willing to help other artists. But that's why you need to have communities of artists. That's why it's so important that when you go to art ex exhibitions that you're meeting other artists because you're sharing the art world with each other, you're talking and discussing and supporting. Um, I think that's got a lot to do with being in the art world is supporting other artists. Even if you don't necessarily understand their work or really get it, they're still doing exactly what you're doing, trying to teach the world something. Um, yeah. About what, what, yeah, what, what they're trying to express. Yeah. One, one sort of, conversation that you hear from time to time maybe in the media or, or otherwise is that um yes um say funding of the arts and that could be sort of visual artists or it could be sort of performing artists 
we need to see a return on investment. So what's the outcome of it? So do we, we give a grant? Does that end up in them getting a job or, or whatever? So what, what would you be your take on, on that? I obviously understand that it is really important. I think that if, you're, if an artist is given the opportunity to do something amazing, they've got to really show that they benefited from it. Um, if I went to India and then came back and didn't do anything with it, yeah. stopped being in the art world, well, that opportunity maybe could have been used for another artist that wants to keep working in it. So I understand that a lot of these companies do want to see yeah. it, and I, I do understand that. Um, I think it's also really important that if we go over, if we get the opportunity to go overseas and learn, well, when we come back, if someone wants to learn from us, we should be willing to teach as yeah. well. It needs to be that full circle. So if I'm getting the opportunity, other people should as well. And it's a gift that keeps giving. You know, I'm always volunteering for the Helpman Academy. Yeah. I love seeing the sponsors and, and talking to them and, and they always ask, what have you been up to? What have you been doing? Oh, I've seen your work. And that's really good for them because they know that the money that they put in is still continuing to fund me. Mm. They may have only have funded it at the start, but I'm still going with my work and constantly evolving and working with other people and the skills that I've learnt I now might be passing on to someone else. Mm. I think that it may not be a money investment, but it can also be teaching other people as well. Mm. And obviously, as you, like any profession, as you go, you, you get more confident in what you're doing. Mm. Do you feel? Do you feel like rather than? I'm not saying you ever did, but sort of you, you're not faking it until you make it. Do you feel <laughs> like you've made it? I. Will never feel like I've made it. I'm too stubborn. I will, if I accomplish my goals, I will set new ones. Yeah. Do you feel like you're in the two percent? Yes, I do. do. Feel, yeah, you do. I do That's feel good. like I'm in the two percent. Okay. I feel, but I know it's because of the support that I've been given, but mainly due to the hard work I've put in. It didn't come easy. Mm. I didn't get given it. I had to work hard. Constantly, My mind never stops at all. I'm always, even if I'm just in bed watching TV, I'm still doodling ideas. I'm always thinking of it, of my of my passion and what to do next. Do you have, like, have a, a, a sketch pad or a note? Yeah, I, a yeah I, I have lots and just whatever is close by sometimes. I'll and doodle some it. fade away. And yeah, sort of... I'll, if I'm out, I'll draw it on a napkin or something and then I'll find that napkin maybe six months later and be like, oh, that was a good idea. I'm going to do that now. Mm. You know, what's an idea you'd love to do? What's something you'd like to do or build? Or I would really like to make urns. So it's sort of mixing my silversmithing techniques with sculpt sculptures, but in a in a piece that has a purpose. So urns for it would start off for maybe animals. Um, and then, I mean, I'd love to do an urn for a person. I mean, I haven't learned the techniques so or I haven't mm. even figured out how I would do this yet, but these are sort of my ideas of, you know, if, if our culture cremates things, well, then I'd love to make something that captures it. Mm. I'd love to do little small vials for ashes that look like a normal necklace but it actually contains the ashes of a loved one. Mm. Um, I've just started working with human hair since coming back from the UK because I learned how to work with human hair over there. And I would love to make brooches out of a deceased person's hair, but casted in silver. So to a normal person, it just looks like a really intricate brooch when the wearer knows what's well, actually made of the deceased loved one's hair mm. they're really personal pieces so i really want to do well, memento pieces. but always beautiful pete like those always pieces, beautiful that is but beauty and yeah, yeah i'm a big one I, I love playing on the idea of what we what our society sees as beautiful so our society sees perfection you know precious metals gemstones pearls 
that is what we see as beautiful. Well, I'm mixing those elements with the idea of death and the concept of death and and the shapes of death, bones and bird's feet and mole hands and human hair, but presenting it in a way that's seen as typically beautiful in our society. That's right. And it's all happened from getting a hot chicken from the yes. supermarket. <laughs> that's why I love that Isn't story because it just came out of nowhere. You know, and that's all just rolled in that it's sort of continuous rolled. learning. There we go. You weren't. It didn't sound like you were. Death wasn't on your mind when you were a child so much. No, or, no, no. And it's art, even, art was, but art was, and it's funny. I look back now and I go, oh, I used to love cutting up eyeballs and dissecting things in biology. Oh. Yet I still thought blood was gross and all that. Never would have imagined I would be. Spending my weekends cutting up dead things. Yeah, that's <laughs> your thing. It's <laughs> my thing now. Um, you made a comment about not everybody's necessarily artistic just a little while ago. Do you have a sense that I know, people are artists as a child but they don't, don't maintain it as adults or I don't know, They maybe some people are artists, more artistic than what they think? What would you sort of... I think maybe people don't really even give themselves the opportunity to be artists. I think... Growing up, people influence you a lot more than what you expect. If, you know, you're four or five years old and you're drawing a picture and someone tells you it's terrible, that can get in your mind and that can stop any ability after that. I think people, you talk to adults and they go, oh, I can't draw. And go, well, have you tried? And I haven't done drawing since school. You know, why is that? You know, I think that people can be so afraid of being judged on being bad that they won't even try it. But then I also think people are artistic in in different ways. People that are good with numbers and writing and it's just a different form of you know being artistic. It's just in their own way. Mm. I'm I've never been good with with smart things as I would say maths or science or English things that people would normally you know say oh you're smart because you're good at those well I think I'm smart in my medium Mm. you know in in art I can learn and new techniques and practice it and you know just like anyone would learn about maths it's just different Mm. how your brain's wired yeah it's how your brain's wired it's almost finding that aspect of you that's your creative mm. outlet isn't it and, yeah and going with with that um yeah i think that, that that's uh, when you talked about networking um before it's kind of an interesting one because um i guess my observation of uh, so you're studying as an artist and often not always but if i want to sort of generalize a, a profession artists can be quite um introspective and and even um uh, introverted a little bit more mm. not necessarily all that's probably a, I, but as a profession I'd say uh, but then you almost need to yeah. force yourself to network yeah, how, can you explain that a bit I'm a really big believer in this a lot of artists are very introverted and surprisingly they find it very hard to talk about their own work and I feel like unfortunately that does restrict artists quite a lot because as I said people that don't People that aren't artistic themselves, they rely on the artist to teach them about the work. So if they're viewing a painting and they don't understand it, it just looks like a painting, but they talk to the artist and the artist goes on about their inspiration. Next minute they're seeing it and they love the work. They can see what the artist is trying, you know, trying to share with the viewer and next minute they want to buy the work. If they just look at the painting, don't understand it, they might just walk away. So if we can't express what we're trying to show people, we can't just expect them to appreciate it, Mm. Um, which is hard for people that are very introverted. Um, I'm lucky I'm very extroverted. So you say you're extroverted. So, very, so the idea of yeah. networking and meeting new yeah. people and, and going to a new country mm. and just going and saying hi, that's, that's quite a natural kind of... Yeah, I'm always willing to push myself and throw myself in a situation that is out of 
my comfort zone. I feel like as an artist, the only way you can really thrive is when you're not in your comfort zone. Um, you know, in our day-to-day lives, if you don't, you know, if you, your studio day is Monday, but you don't feel like it, you just won't go. You know, if you're out of your comfort zone, you're in the UK, you're going to be making use of that that one day. You've mm. got one day to do something, to go to the museums or do this or do that, you know. You, you, throw, you can't just not do anything because you're at home. You can't just go out with your friends. You, you know, you can't just watch TV. Um, I think that it's you, even if you are introverted, you've got to still push yourself, mm. you know. Yeah. We started off with you as a young girl who loved art and it's stayed with you. There we go. That's lovely. What would you suggest for people listening, let's say younger people, but it doesn't necessarily need to be younger, anyone really, about how to have a successful career, a successful life? That's sort of something we finish off with. I think you need to be doing things that make you happy. I think it's just it's one of those things that you always get taught growing up. Don't do a job if you don't enjoy it. And I genuinely feel... Well, I know life is too short and don't do something that brings you misery every single day. You know, if, if you're young, you've finished school and you have a passion for something, but it's not here, travel overseas. Find where your passion is or what can help you. Don't just limit yourself. Don't just stay comfortable. I think... People are too scared to really get out there. They prefer to be in their comfort zone. I think to live a happy life, you've got to be able to be 90 years old and look back and go, I did it all. Yeah. Cool. That's a good spot to end. Thank you so much. That was so fascinating. Mm. No, thank you for having me. To comment on today's show, do so via square holes or myself on twitter or your favorite social media you can find me at jason dunstone for more on today's show other episodes and articles on all things human-centered customer-focused innovation and entrepreneurship go to squareholes.com forward slash blog thank you for listening Uru.